everyone else, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. When you find that place, also go to um, Psalm chapter 37. I couldn't help but notice as you're coming in today that some of you look extremely happy upon your arrival because you now have a much shorter drive to church. Amen for a bridge. Is that not wonderful? This morning we continue our series through blessed. We're going to be looking at verse number 5. See, for Jesus, he, he speaks often in paradoxes. And paradoxes were an especially effective way of getting people to see and to understand significant spiritual truths. Jesus, not only did he teach the paradox, he, he, he lived it, he, he modeled it, he, he spoke it so often. He was the master of the paradox. His teaching is filled with vivid contrast. For example, when you get to Mark chapter 20, Jesus talks about how when you're last, you're actually first. In Matthew chapter 6, he tells us that giving is actually receiving. In John chapter 12, he talks about how dying is living. And then in Matthew chapter 10, losing is finding. He speaks in Luke chapter 22 about how the least is actually the greatest. In Mark chapter 10, he talks about you must be uh, poor in order to be rich. Jesus speaks directly to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He tells him how weakness is actually strength. And in Matthew chapter 20, he talks how serving is leading. Our text this morning, Jesus declares in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 5, he says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I think the paradox, the beauty in the paradox is in the fact that it often grabs our attention. In the case of this verse, it seems Like it would be much more true if Jesus were to say something like, blessed are the proud, or blessed are the powerful, or blessed are the intimidating, for for they will inherit the earth through their strength or, or through their might. But Jesus is not teaching about the survival of the fittest. Jesus is teaching us the survival of the meekest. It might appear that that in worldly concepts that Jesus makes a mistake here. But we know, of course, that our Lord does not make a mistake. This beatitude provides the infallible law of life and a remarkable power of the fact that for living and dying, we must completely submit ourselves unto Him, trust in Him in all of His ways. So to begin, what does the the beatitude, blessed are the meek, what does that actually mean? And what can we learn from it? We already understand and realize that that word blessed is uh, another way uh, of saying approved. It's God's approval. So, So we understand that blessed is approval, but what about the word meek? Some of your translations might render the word gentle there. Blessed are are the gentle. And then that's pretty good. That, that's a good um, uh, definition of what's happening here. Because in the Greek word, it, it actually means a mildness, 
having a gentleness of spirit. It, it's, it's, it's humility that Jesus is speaking about. And, and Paul urges this meekness or this gentleness in his writing to the church in Ephesus. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1-3. through three. There Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In verse number 2 he says, with all humility and gentleness. It's the same word that's being used in the Beatitude. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I think the word meekness is a word that is much misunderstood today. So to begin, let me just say that meekness does not denote a cowardice. It does not denote uh, spinelessness or timidity. Meekness does not seem to suggest indecisiveness or having a lack of confidence. Meekness does not imply a shyness. It does not describe a withdrawn personality. No, make no mistake, meekness is in no way a form of weakness. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Meekness is ultimately strength under control. I'd write that down. Meekness is strength under control. Meekness is having a humility towards God and towards each other. It's having the right and the power to do something, but refraining for the benefit of someone or something else. So the meek are those who are powerful, but have the maturity and the grace to use their power for constructive means rather than destructive purposes. Southern horse breeders often use the phrase, the meekest horse wins the race. So the meek horse is the horse that has responded best to its trainer. So the horse, with all of his obvious and inherited strength, that, that strength is, is harnessed and brought under focused control of the trainer. When you look at Old Testament examples of meekness, we're told in Numbers chapter 12, verse number 3, that Moses was more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And, and Moses is, is, is in no way would it be fair to describe him as a weak personality. Not at all. When he considered the incredible personal strength that was required to lead more than a million individuals on a constant camping expedition, 40 years and wandering around in a land, all those personalities, all those issues, Moses was in no way a weak or timid individual. I think Aristotle actually can help to provide us great understanding and insight into what meekness actually is. Aristotle is said to have described every virtue as the medium medium between two extremes. For example, uh, the the virtue of um, self-control would be the midpoint between the extremes of indecisiveness and impulsiveness. 
So right in the middle of indecisiveness or impulsiveness, you'd find the virtue self-control. Now, in our text this morning, meekness. Well, meekness would be the midpoint between excessive anger and the absence of anger. It's that it's having that gentle spirit in the midst of it all. A meek person is a person that reacts with emotions that are appropriate for, for the occasion. So a meek person exercises self-control, and the exercising of that self-control implies strength. So we might say, blessed are the meek, for they have the strength to be humble. Blessed are the meek, for they have the strength, or they have the restraint in order to exercise emotions that are appropriate to the occasion. This is the sense of which Jesus speaks about himself in Matthew chapter 11, verse number 29. There Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus was the incarnation of strength under control. In respect to his own person, Jesus neither practiced retaliation nor did he embrace vindictiveness. He always exercised or responded appropriately to the occasion. When he was mocked and he was spat upon, remember how he answered nothing. Because he trusts in God's plan and purpose. When he was confronted by Pilate, our Lord kept silence. When his friends betrayed him and deserted him, Jesus utters no condemnation towards them. When Judas came and betrayed him by kissing him on the cheek and handing him over to those that wanted to kill him, Jesus calls Judas his friend. You know what? He meant it. Jesus was never insincere in the words that he spoke. When Peter denied him, Following his resurrection, Jesus sought out Peter so that he could restore him in his relationship and his service unto God. Even in the midst of his death, Jesus cries out to the Father, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. In all of this, meek and mild as Jesus was, Jesus was always in control. He radiated power. Now think about it. When it came to matters of faith or the welfare of other people, Jesus was a lion. When the Pharisees rebuked him because he healed a man on the Sabbath, well, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12. You can read in Mark chapter 10 how he was angry at his disciples because his disciples were preventing children from approaching him. And he responded with the appropriate emotions for the occasion. We read in John chapter 2 about how Jesus makes a whip and he drives out the money changers from the temple. And all of this, this comes from the incarnation of gentleness or having the meek and mild spirit. 
Jesus wasn't a weak person. No, not at all. Jesus understood the purpose and the plan of God, and he responded appropriately in all the occasions in which he faced. So bringing it all together, we have an amazing picture that the one who is meek is the one that has a gentle spirit, the one who trusts in God, and is the one that will respond appropriately in the circumstances that they find themselves in. So the words, blessed are the meek, make it clear that those that have the gentle spirit, those that are humble towards God and humble towards one another, those are the ones that receive the divine approval of God. Which is a good point for us to pause and to consider some serious questions in our lives today. Let me ask you, are you mean in your treatment towards other people? Are you harsh and cruel in how you treat others? If there is an absence of gentleness in your spirit, in your actions, or in your words, I would caution you today, beware. Or maybe I can ask you, do you make sure that you always get yours first? You know, if numero uno is the the driving force in your life, if you're always ensuring that you make sure that you're going to get yours no matter what, beware. Are you known as a person never to cross? You know, you don't ever want to cross me because you'll, you're, you're always ensure that you get your pound of flesh. If that describes you, I'd caution you, beware. Or how about this? Does rage fill your soul? Do you often fly off the handle at other people or other situations? Are you constantly blaming other people for the explosive outburst in your life? If so, beware. Or maybe this, are you a self-satisfied Christian? One who, who thinks that the absence of gentleness in your life is just who you are and people just need to accept you the way that you are? Your, your, your anger or your harshness, let me be clear, is not a result of you being born from the Northeast. It's not the result of uh, having Irish blood in you. It's not the result of being Italian or, or, or whatever. It's not the fact that you're a redhead. It's none of that. That anger, that explosiveness can't be blamed on anything other than what it is. And that, my friends, is sin. It's not cute to try to hide behind, well, that's just my personality. The beatitude of meekness, let me be clear, it does not suggest that you're not a believer if you struggle with gentleness. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that if having a gentle spirit, if that is not at least imperfectly present in your life, then beware. 
If it's not at least imperfectly present and growing in some way, then you may need to pause and consider, have you even passed the first two of the Beatitudes? Have you even experienced the poverty of spirit and mourning over sin? Now we'll look briefly at what the reward of the meekness is. It says, blessed are the meek, and they will inherit the earth. Now this is directly related and connected to Psalm chapter 37. So with your Bibles there, I want to show you Psalm chapter 37. Beginning in verse number 10. See, some of you are just now turning your pages. When I told you at the beginning, this is where we're going. But I'm glad you got your Bibles, and I'm glad you're using them this morning. Psalm chapter 37, verse number 10. There it says, In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Now, this optimistic vision that David has follows his plea for peaceful behavior. So you've got to understand what's happening as David's writing uh, Psalm 37, verses 10 and 11. So, so go back a, a little bit. Let, go back to verse number 7. Listen to the plea. In verse number 7, he says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices, He says in verse 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. This psalm, Psalm chapter 37, was given to encourage the righteous not to get all worked over about the success or the promotion of wickedness and evil people. He's saying don't get all worked up over because never forget that divine judgment is coming. And God will one day judge the entire world. And so this is a certainty that all injustices, all wrongdoings, all wickedness, All brutality will ultimately be avenged by our Lord. Make no mistake, justice delayed is not justice denied. And so it is impossible for any one person or for any one nation to straighten out all the injustices in this world. It is impossible for any individual or any single nation to execute perfect justice among a corrupt and depraved society. But the Lord Himself will avenge all of the unjust and all of the evil deeds to have ever been committed. So David's writing and he's encouraging us, don't give up, don't lose hope, don't lose focus, because one day all the wickedness that you're seeing, all of the wickedness that you're frustrated with its promotion, one day it's all going to be avenged. Paul writes to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
And he gives a clear and strong declaration in verse number 10. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Everyone will stand before Christ and give an account for their lives and for their actions. And so Psalm chapter 37 is a reminder for us all that divine judgment's coming. This psalm can be broken up into several different sections. I'm just going to point the first two sections to you. So section one, I would say, is from verse one to verse number eight. And in this first section, it calls for a trust and a dependency upon the sovereignty of God, despite the presence of evil and wickedness in our world today, we still need to trust in God's sovereign plan and purpose for this world in our lives. So back to Psalm 37. Listen as David's writing. I'm going to back up to verse number 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like grass and wither like the green herb. Some of you are like, what does that mean? Yeah, they're going to die. They're going to be dead. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. So David's writing and saying, man, trust, depend, stop getting worked up. Look at the imperatives. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Verse 4, delight yourself in Jesus. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. Verse 7, be still and wait patiently. Fret not yourself. Stop getting all worked up. Refrain, in verse number 8, refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Now this isn't a passage to say, don't do anything. No, it's saying do the right thing. Don't get unfairly worked up thinking that it's completely hopeless and you have no purpose or, or, or role to play in changing the course of society. That's not what it's saying. It's saying having the proper understanding. Trusting God's sovereignty. And if you're going to be a meek individual, then you're going to be humble towards God and towards one another, and you're going to respond appropriately to the occasion when it presents itself. So it's in that self-control that we demonstrate power. And so the second section that would go from verse number 9, probably to around verse number 22, I'm not going to read it all, But that second section describes the impending judgment upon the wicked. And it's within that second section that's talking about the impending judgment to the wicked that we find the promise that Jesus is making to those who have the approval of God because of their gentleness and because of their meekness. And that's why he says in verse 10, 
In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Well, both Psalm 37 and this third beatitude is an encouragement for us all not to fret and get all worked up because of the existence of evil, but to trust in the Lord, to trust in Him, and realize that ultimately the meek will inherit the land. And that's a powerful statement. When you look at what all of Scripture has to say about God's children, those that belong to Him through faith in Jesus, it's extremely encouraging. You read in Romans chapter 8, verse number 17, that if we put our faith in Jesus, then we are now co-heirs with Christ. And that's beautiful. And then you get to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 12. Not only are we co-heirs with Christ, but there we're promised that we will rule, that we will rule and reign with Him for all eternity. And now we see that we will inherit the earth. I mean, the paradox of this beatitude is going to be fulfilled beyond our wildest imagination. So trust. Be still. Fret not. Respond appropriately. Take a stand for what's right. And trust in the sovereign plan of our God. I want you to notice the progression so far through these beatitudes. There's a lot of movement today. I, I don't, just hang with me. I'm not a long-winded preacher. Like, you can sit through a movie, you can sit through the service, I promise you. And I'm telling you, there ain't nothing more important than the message that you're going to get other than the little games and things you're scrolling through on your phone in this current moment that have nothing of value to add to your eternal condition. So that's my, ni- that's my nice way of saying put it up before I come and yank it out of your hand. <laughs> ah. Ever wonder why we come to church? I mean, why are we here? My desire is that we come together to gather to celebrate a risen Savior, to to collectively join our voices in our hearts to give praise unto the holiness and the righteousness of our Father. And in the declaration of our praise, then those that don't know Him, although they're gathered in our presence and we're thankful that they're here, would be encouraged by what they see in and through our lives. And that they'll have a hunger for what it is that we have, what it is that we experience. And so we come with this longing anticipation on a week-in and week-out basis that yes, today I get to gather with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, today I get to praise the Holy Father. Yes, today I get to receive a word from God. And I come this morning expecting Him to speak to me and show me. And one of the ways that I demonstrate my ex- expectation that God's going to show up and pour out into my life is that I'm actually going to bring my Bible to church and I'm going to open it and I'm going to long for those words to come off that page and to show me what it is that's in me that needs to change so that I can leave here in a right relationship with him 
And I'm not going to rely on my perfect memory. I'm actually going to have to write some things down because I know I'm going to forget it when I leave this place. But if I write it down, at least I'll know I have a starting reference point so I can go back and I can say, oh yeah, it was somewhere around the Beatitudes. He said something that I needed in that moment. I don't remember what it was. But now I can go back. I don't know. I don't know how it got there. See, baby, that's why I stick to my notes. And it's hot up here, and I'm sweating. And we're going to get really... Notice the progression. Notice the progression so far through these Beatitudes. Those who are approved by God are those who recognize they are spiritually bankrupt. Desperately poor. So poor that they can do nothing in and of themselves that they have to rely completely on an outside source. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. So, so those that are approved by God are those that recognize that they are spiritually bankrupt and then in recognition of their spiritual condition, they mourn over their sin and the sins of the world. So in recognition of their spiritual bankruptcy and mourning over their sin and the sins of the world, then they have begun to humbly respond to the trainer. To humbly respond to God. Humbly respond to one another. and, and, And exercise restraint when it's appropriate. To speak the truth when necessary. And to trust in the sovereign plan and purpose of God. My prayer is that the the paradoxes of the beatitude would penetrate our lives and drive us to an ongoing poverty of spirit. Drive us to ongoing mourning over our sin and the sins of the world. And drive us to an ongoing embracing of meekness and gentleness in our lives. I believe that we cannot afford for this not to happen. Those that are closest to us need to see this in our lives. They need to see the strength of meekness as we willingly put our lives on the line for the gospel and for other people. As they see us faithfully take a stand for the truth of God's Word. No matter what the voice of the enemy has to say, how we'll stand in faithfulness to what God has to say. They need to see a gentle and non-retaliatory spirit within us. Because when they do, they get a much better picture of who Jesus is. And may what they see in us drive them to desire of what is in us, the Spirit of God. So may our embrace of having a meek and mild spirit, may in the pursuit of the development of that meekness in our lives, may it be a true testimony for the strength of our Lord. May we, as a church, Embrace the paradoxes of the Beatitudes in our own lives so that collectively we can demonstrate it to this community that is in desperate need. 
Greater than the need of having the 2900 bridge is the need of having Jesus present and available in our lives. May we be faithful to allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that is necessary within us so that he can continue to do the work that he desires to do through us. With that being said, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your goodness towards us. God, thank you for the work that you're doing here and now and for the work that's to come. In this time of invitation, Father, I pray that we would pause to give serious consideration on do we have the development of that gentleness active and present in our lives. Some of us have been hiding behind the cuteness of our anger. And we just need to confess the sin and deal with it today. Father, I know every single one of us, myself included, we're not in our perfect condition today. And so, Father, forgive us. Forgive us of of just having a tendency to focus on either the initiation of salvation, to, to make sure that people know Jesus and accept Him, and then going to the other extreme of, of focusing on the glorification that's to come, and, and looking and longing for the return of Jesus, while overlooking the important steps in between of salvation and the second coming is the sanctification work that needs to happen in us. So Father, forgive us for overlooking that process. Help us to embrace the change that is necessary and needed in our lives so that we can further glorify You and make Your glory known. In this place, we all, myself included, I know we have decisions that could be made, sins that need to be confessed, commitments that ought to be made and submitted unto You. Father, I pray that we're not rushing through this next moment of the service as an afterthought, but that we are embracing it as the most critical aspect of our time together. And that is, how do we respond to your word? May your Holy Spirit move among us all, guiding and convicting us. May we make decisions that are necessary. May you be glorified in this moment. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. I invite you to stand with us if you'd like. Joel and Catherine will be down here. Casey and I will be over here. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to come.